Section five of Lynn McLean by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three Lynn McLean's Honeymoon Part one Rain had not fallen for some sixty days, and for some sixty more there was no necessity that it should fall. It is spells of weather like this that set the Western editor writing praise and prophecy of the boundless fertility of the soil, when irrigated, and of what an Eden it can be made, with irrigation. But the spells annoy the people who are trying to raise the Eden. We always told the transient Eastern visitor, when he arrived at Cheyenne, and criticized the desert, that anything would grow here with irrigation. And sometimes he replied unsympathetically that anything could fly, with wings. Then we would lead such a man out and show him six, eight, ten square miles of green crops, and he, if he was thoroughly nasty, would mention that Wyoming contained ninety-five thousand square miles, all waiting for irrigation and Eden. One of these eastern super-civilized hostels from New York was breakfasting with the governor and me at the Cheyenne Club, and we were explaining to him the glorious future, the coming empire, of the western country. Now the governor was about thirty-two, and until twenty-five had never gone west far enough to see over the top of the Allegheny Mountains. I was not a pioneer myself, and why both of us should have pitied the New Yorker's narrowness so hard I cannot see. But we did. We spoke to him of the size of the country. We told him that his state could rattle around inside Wyoming's stomach without any inconvenience to Wyoming. And he told us that this was because Wyoming's stomach was empty. Altogether, I began to feel almost sorry that I had asked him to come out for a hunt and had traveled in haste all the way from Bear Creek to Cheyenne expressly to meet him. For purposes of amusement, he said, I'll admit anything you claim for this place. Ranches, cowboys, elk, it's all splendid. Only, as an investment, I prefer the East. Am I to see any cowboys? You shall, I said, and I distinctly hoped some of them might do something to him for purposes of amusement. You fellows come up with me to my office, said the governor. I'll look at my mail and show you round. So we went with him through the heat and sun. What's that? inquired the New Yorker, whom I shall call James Ogden. That is our park, said I. Of course, it's merely in embryo. It's wonderful how quickly any shade tree will grow here with— I checked myself. But Ogden said, with irrigation, for me, and I was entirely sorry he had come. We reached the governor's office and sat down while he looked his letters over. Here you are, Ogden, said he. Here's the way we hump ahead out of here. And he read us the following. Magaw, Kansas, July 5, 1880. Honorable Amory W. Baker. Sir, Understanding that your district is suffering from a prolonged drought, I write to say that for necessary expenses paid, I will be glad to furnish you with a reasonable shower. 
I have operated successfully in Australia, Mexico, and several states of the Union, and am anxious to exhibit my system. If your legislature will appropriate a sum to cover, as I said, merely my necessary expenses, say, uh, $350, for half an inch, I will guarantee you that quantity of rain or forfeit the money. If I fail to give you the smallest fraction of the amount contracted for, there is to be no pay. Kindly advise me of what date will be most convenient for you to have the shower. I require twenty-four hours' preparation. Hoping a favorable reply, I am respectfully yours, Robert Hilbrun. Will the legislature do it? inquired Ogden, in good faith. The governor laughed boisterously. I guess it wouldn't be constitutional, said he. Oh, bother, said Ogden. My dear man, the governor protested, I know we're new, and our women vote, and we're a good deal of a joke, but we're not so progressively funny as all that. The people wouldn't stand it. Senator Warren would fly right into my back hair. Barker was also new as governor. Do you have senators here, too? said Ogden raising his eyebrows. What do they look like? Are they females? And the governor grew more boisterous than ever, slapping his knee and declaring that these eastern men were certainly out of sight. Ogden, however, was thoughtful. I'd have been willing to chip in for that rain myself, he said. Now that's an idea, cried the governor. Nothing unconstitutional about that. Let's see, three hundred and fifty dollars. I'll put up a hundred, said Ogden promptly. I'm out for a western vacation, and I'll pay for a good specimen. The governor and I subscribed more modestly, and by noon, with the help of some lively-minded gentlemen of Cheyenne, we had the purse raised. He won't care, said the governor, whether it's a private enterprise or a municipal step, so long as he gets his money. He won't get it, I'm afraid, said Ogden, but if he succeeds in tempting Providence to that extent, I consider it cheap. Now, what do you call those people there on the horses? We were walking along the track of the Cheyenne and Northern, and looking out over the plain toward Fort Russell. That is a cowpuncher and his bride, I answered, recognizing the couple. Real cowpuncher? Quite. The puncher's name is Lynn McLean. Real bride? I'm afraid so. She's riding straddle, exclaimed the delighted Ogden, adjusting his glasses. Why do you object to their union being holy? I explained that my friend Lynn had lately married an eating-house lady precipitately and against my advice. I suppose he knew his business, observed Ogden. That's what he said to me at the time, but you ought to see her, and know him. Ogden was going to. Husband and wife were coming our way. Husband nodded to me his familiar offish nod, which concealed his satisfaction at meeting with an old friend. Wife did not look at me at all, but I looked at her, and I instantly knew that Lynn, the fool, had confided to her my disapproval of their marriage. The most delicate specialty upon earth is your standing with your old friend's new wife. 
good day mr mclean said the governor to the cowpuncher on his horse how are ye doctor said lin during his early days in wyoming the governor when as yet a private citizen had set mr mclean's broken leg at drybone let me make ye known to mrs mclean pursued the husband the lady at a loss how convention prescribes the greeting of a bride to a governor gave a waddle on the pony's back then sat up stiff gazed haughtily at the air and did not speak or show any more sign than a cow would under like circumstances so the governor marched cheerfully at her extending his hand and when she slightly moved out toward him her big dumb red fist he took it and shook it and made her a series of compliments she maintaining always the scrupulous reserve of the cow i say ogden whispered to me while barker was pumping the hand of the flesh image i'm glad i came the appearance of the puncher bridegroom also interested ogden and he looked hard at lynn's leather chaps and cartridge belt and so forth lynn stared at the new yorker and his high white collar and good scarf he had seen such things quite often of course but they always filled him with the same distrust of the man that wore them well said he i guess we'll be pulling for a hotel any show in town circus come yet no said i are you going to make a long stay the cowpuncher glanced at the image his bride of three weeks till we're tired of it i guess said he with hesitation it was the first time that i had ever seen my gay friend look timidly at any one and i felt a rising hate for the ruby-cheeked large-eyed eating-house lady the biscuit-shooter whose influence was dimming this jaunty irrepressible spirit i looked at her her bulky bloom had ensnared him and now she was going to tame and spoil him the governor was looking at her too thoughtfully say lin i said if you stay here long enough you'll see a big show and his eyes livened into something of its native jocularity as i told him of the rainmaker shucks said he springing from his horse impetuously and hugely entertained at our venture three hundred and fifty dollars let me come in and before i could tell him that we had all the money raised he was hauling out a wadded lump of bills well i ain't going to starve here on the road i guess spoke the image with the suddenness of a miracle i think we all jumped and i know that lin did the image continued some folks and their money are soon parted she meant me her searching tones came straight at me i was sure from the first that she knew all about me and my unfavorable opinion of her but it ain't going to be you this time lin mclean get up this last was to the horse i maintain though the governor says the husband immediately started off on a run at any rate they were gone to their hotel and ogden was seated on some railroad ties exclaiming oh i like wyoming i am certainly glad i came that's who she is said the governor remembering mrs mclean all at once i know her she used to be at sydney she's got another husband somewhere she's one of the boys oh that's nothing in this country 
he continued to the amazed Ogden, who had ejaculated, Bigamy! Lots of them marry, live together a while, get tired and quit, travel, catch on to a new man, marry him, get tired and quit, travel, catch on? One moment, I beg, said Ogden, adjusting his glasses. What does the law— Law? said the governor. Look at that place. He swept his hand towards the vast plains and the mountains. Ninety-five thousand square miles of that, and sixty thousand people in it. We haven't got policemen yet on top of the Rocky Mountains. I see, said the New Yorker. B but, uh, but— well, let A and B represent first and second husbands, and X represent the woman. Now, does A know about B, or does B know about A? And what do they do about it? Can't say, the governor answered jovially. Can't generalize. Depends on heaps of things. Love, money, did you go to college? Well, let A minus X equal B plus X. Then if A and B get squared— Oh, come to lunch, I said. Barker, do you really know the first husband is alive? Wasn't dead last winter. And Barker gave us the particulars. Miss Katie Peck had not served long in the restaurant before she was wooed and won by a man who had been a ranch cook, a sheep herder, a bartender, a freight hand, and was then hauling poles for the government. During his necessary absences from home, she, too, went out of doors. This he often discovered, and would beat her, and she would then also beat him. After the beatings, one of them would always leave the other forever. Thus was Sidney kept in small talk, until Mrs. Lusk one day really did not come back. Lusk, said the governor, finishing his story, cried around the saloons for a couple of days and then went on hauling poles for the government, till at last he said he'd heard of a better job south, and next we knew of him he was round Leavenworth. Lusk was a pretty poor bird. Owes me ten dollars. Well, I said, none of us ever knew about him when she came to stay with Mrs. Taylor on Bear Creek. She was Miss Peck when Lynn made her Mrs. McLean. You'll notice, said the governor, how she has got him under in three weeks. Old hand, you see. Poor Lynn, I said. Lucky I call him, said the governor. He can quit her. Supposing McLean does not want to quit her. She's educating him to want to right now, and I think he'll learn pretty quick. I guess Mr. Lynn's romance wasn't very ideal this trip. Hello! Here comes Jode. Jode, won't you lunch with us? Mr. Ogden of New York, Mr. Jode. Mr. Jode is our signal service officer, Mr. Ogden. The governor's eyes were sparkling hilariously, and he winked at me. Gentlemen, good morning. Mr. Ogden, I am honored to make your acquaintance, said the signal service officer. Jode, when is it going to rain? said the governor anxiously. Now, Jode is the most extraordinarily solemn man I have ever known. He has the solemnity of all science, added to the unspeakable weight of representing five of the oldest families in South Carolina. The Jodes themselves were not old in South Carolina, but immensely so in 
I think he told me it was Long Island. His name is Poinsett Middleton Manigault Jode. He used to weigh a hundred and twenty-eight pounds then, but his health has strengthened in that climate. His clothes were black, his face was white, with black eyes sharp as a pin. He had the shape of a spout, the same narrow size all the way down, and his voice was as dry and light as an eggshell. In his first days at Cheyenne he had constantly challenged large cowboys for taking familiarities with his dignity, and they, after one moment's bewilderment, had concocted apologies that entirely met his exactions, and gave them much satisfaction also. Nobody would have hurt Jode for the world. In time he came to see that Wyoming was a game invented after his book of rules was published, and he looked on, but could not play the game. He had fallen, along with other incongruities, into the roaring western hotchpot, and he passed his careful, precise days with barometers and weather charts. He answered the governor with official and South Carolina impressiveness. There is no indication of diminution of the prevailing pressure, he said. Well, that's what I thought, said the joyous governor, so I'm going to whoop her up. What do you expect to whoop up, sir? Atmosphere and all that, said the governor. Whole business has got to get a move on. I've sent for a rainmaker. Governor, you are certainly a wag, sir, said Jode, who enjoyed Barker as some people enjoy a symphony, without understanding it. But after we had reached the club and were lunching, and Jode realized that a letter had actually been written, telling Hilbrun to come and bring his showers with him, the punctilious signal service officer stated his position. "'Have your joke, sir,' he said, waving a thin, clean hand, "'but I decline to meet him.' "'Hilbrun?' said the governor, staring. "'If that's his name, yes, sir. As a member of the Weather Bureau and the Meteorological Society, I can have nothing to do with the fellow.' "'Glory!' said the governor. Well, I suppose not. I see your point, Jode. I'll be careful to keep you apart. As a member of the College of Physicians, I felt that way about homeopathy and the faith cure. All very well if patients will call em in, but can't meet em in consultation. But three months drought annually, Jode. It's slow, too slow. The Western people feel that this conservative method the Zodiac does its business by is out of date. I am quite serious, sir, said Jode, and let me express my gratification that you do see my point. So we changed the subject. Our weather scheme did not at first greatly move the public. Beyond those who made up the purse, few of our acquaintances expressed curiosity about Hilbron, and next afternoon Lynn McLean told me in the street that he was disgusted with Cheyenne's coldness toward the enterprise. But the boys would fly right at it and stay with it if the round-up was near town, you bet," said he. He was walking alone. "'How's Mrs. McLean today?' I inquired. "'She's well,' said Lynn, turning his eye from mine. "'Who's your friend all bugged up in English clothes?' "'About as good a man as you,' said I. 
and more cautious. "'Him and his eye-glasses,' said the sceptical puncher, still looking away from me and surveying Ogden, who was approaching with the governor. That excellent man, still at long range, broke out smiling till his teeth shone, and he waved a yellow paper at us. "'Telegram from Hilbron!' he shouted. "'Be here to-morrow!' And he hastened up. "'Says he wants a cart at the depot and a small building where he can be private,' added Ogden. "'Great, isn't it?' "'You bet,' said Lynn, brightening. The New Yorker's urbane but obvious excitement mollified Mr. McLean. "'Ever seen rain made, Mr. Ogden?' said he. "'Never, have you?' Lynn had not. Ogden offered him a cigar, which the puncher pronounced excellent, and we all agreed to see Hilbron arrive. "'We're going to show the telegram to Jode,' said the governor, and he and Ogden departed on this mission to the signal service. "'Well, I must be getting along myself,' said Lynn, but he continued walking slowly with me. "'Where are you bound?' he said. "'Nowhere in particular,' said I, and we paced the board sidewalks a little more. "'You're going to meet the train to-morrow?' said he. "'The train? Uh, oh, yes, Hilbrun's. To-morrow. You'll be there?' "'Yes, I'll be there. It's sure been a dry spell, ain't it?' "'Yes, just like last year. In fact, like all the years.' "'Yes, I've never seen it rain any to speak of in summer.' I expect it's the rule, don't you? I shouldn't wonder. I don't guess any man knows enough to break such a rule, do you? No, but it'll be fun to see him try. Sure fun. Well, I must be getting along. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Lynn. He left me at a corner, and I stood watching his tall, depressed figure. A hundred yards down the street he turned, and seeing me looking after him, pretended he had not turned, and then I took my steps toward the club, telling myself that I had been something of a skunk, for I had inquired for Mrs. McLean in a certain tone, and I had hinted to Lynn that he had lacked caution, and this was nothing but a way of saying, I told you so, to the man that is down. Down Lynn certainly was, although it had not come so home to me until our little walk together just now along the boards. At the club I found the governor teaching Ogden a Cheyenne specialty, a particular drink, the Alston cocktail. It's the bitters that does the trick, he was saying, but saw me and called out, You ought to have been with us and seen Jode. I showed him the telegram, you know. He read it through and just handed it back to me and went on monkeying with his anemometer. Ever seen his instruments? Every fresh jigger they get out he sends for. Well, he monkeyed away and wouldn't say a word, so I said, You understand, Jode, this telegram comes from Hilbron. And Jode, he quit his anemometer and said, I make no doubt, sir, that your dispatch is genuine. Oh, South Carolina's indignant at me. And the governor slapped his knee. Why, he's so set against Hilbron, he continued. I guess if he knew of something he could explode to stop the rain, he'd let her fly. No, he wouldn't, said I. He'd not consider that honorable. Oh, that's so, the governor assented. Jode'll play fair. 
It was thus we had come to look at our enterprise, a game between a well-established respectable weather bureau and an upstart charlatan. And it was the charlatan had our sympathy, as all charlatans, whether religious, military, medical, political, or what not, have with the average American. We met him at the station, that is, Ogden, McLean, and I, and the governor, being engaged, sent, unofficially, his secretary and the requested cart. Lynn was anxious to see what would be put in the cart, and I was curious about how a rainmaker would look. But he turned out an unassuming quiet man in blue serge, with a face you could not remember afterwards, and a few civil, ordinary remarks. He even said it was a hot day, as if he had no relations with the weather. And what he put into the cart were only two packing-boxes of no special significance to the eye. He desired no lodging at the hotel, but to sleep with his apparatus in the building provided for him, and we set out for it at once. It was an untenanted barn, and he asked that he and his assistant might cut a hole in the roof, upon which we noticed the assistant for the first time, a tallish, good-looking young man, but with a weak mouth. This is Mr. Lusk, said the rainmaker, and we shook hands, Ogden and I exchanging a glance. Ourselves and the cart marched up Hill Street, or Capitol Avenue, as it has become named since Cheyenne has grown fuller of pomp and emptier of prosperity, and I thought we made an unusual procession, the governor's secretary, unofficially, leading the way to the barn, the cart and the rainmaker beside it, guarding his packed-up mysteries, McLean and Lusk walking together in unconscious bigamy, and in the rear Ogden nudging me in the ribs. That it was the correct Lusk we had with us, I felt sure from his incompetent, healthy, vacant appearance, strong-bodied and shiftless, the sort of man to weary of one trade and another, and make a failure of wife-beating between whiles. In Twenty-Fourth Street, the town's uttermost rim, the governor met us, and stared at Lusk. "'Christopher!' was his single observation, but he never forgets a face, cannot afford to, now that he is in politics, and, besides, Lusk remembered him. You seldom really forget a man to whom you owe ten dollars. "'So you've quit hauling poles,' said the governor. "'Nothing in it, sir,' said Lusk. "'Is there any objection to my having a hole in the roof?' asked the rainmaker. For this the secretary had been unable to tell him. "'What? Going to throw your bombs through it?' said the governor, smiling heartily. But the rainmaker explained at once that his was not the bomb system, but a method attended by more rain and less disturbance. Not that the bomb don't produce first-class results at times and under circumstances, he said, but it's uncertain and costly. The governor hesitated about the hole in the roof, which Heilbrunn told us was for a metal pipe to conduct his generated gases into the air. The owner of the barn had gone to Laramie. However, we found a stovepipe hole which saved delay. And what day would you prefer the shower? said Hilbrun, after we had gone over our contract with him. Any day would do. 
the governor said. This was Thursday, and Sunday was chosen as a day when no one had business to detain him from witnessing the shower, though it seemed to me that on weekdays, too, business in Cheyenne was not so inexorable as this. We gave the strangers some information about the town, and left them. The sun went away in a cloudless sky, and came so again when the stars had finished their untarnished shining. Friday was clear and dry and hot, like the dynasty of blazing days that had gone before. I saw a sorry spectacle in the street, the bridegroom and the bride shopping together or rather he with his wad of bills was obediently paying for what she bought, and when I met them he was carrying a scarlet parasol and a bonnet-box. His biscuit-shooter, with the lust of purchase on her, was brilliantly dressed, and pervaded the street with splendor, like an escaped parrot. Lynn walked beside her, but it might as well have been behind and his bearing was so different from his wonted happy-go-luckiness that I had a mind to take off my hat and say, Good morning, Mrs. Lusk. But it was Mrs. McLean, I said, of course. She gave me a remote, imperious nod and said, Come on, Lynn, something like a cross nurse, while he, out of sheer decency, made her a good-humored, jocular answer and said to me, it takes a woman to know what to buy for housekeeping, which poor piece of hypocrisy endeared him to me more than ever. The puncher was not of the fibre to succeed in keeping appearances, but he deserved success, which the angels considered to be enough. I wondered if disenchantment had set in, or if this were only the preliminary stage of surprise and wounding, and I felt that but one test could show namely, a coming face to face of Mr. and Mrs. Lusk, perhaps not to be desired. Neither was it likely. The assistant rainmaker kept himself steadfastly inside or near the barn, at the north corner of Cheyenne, while the bride, when she was in the street at all, haunted the shops clear across town diagonally. End of chapter 3, part 1